0: Although we shouldn't try to offend people, on the same regard, we shouldn't hold everybody hostage to our own consecrations. We should not be offensive, but yet we shouldn't uh, try to hold everybody to our ruler. So, with that in mind, uh, I begin to think about uh, those early memories of Christmas. And they begin in a little small house... Uh, on Oakland Street in Pineville, Louisiana. Uh, now, I remember the house before that house, uh, where we lived before that, uh, but as far as specific Christmas memories, uh, they began on Oakland Street. Uh, it was a little small house. My bedroom, uh, my bedroom was, I guess, an old porch, or it looked like maybe it was an old porch at some point, it had been closed in, or if it wasn't, it just was kind of odd room. It was long and skinny, had real high windows, and uh, uh, it was a very special place. In fact, uh, I'm going back down in a few weeks, and I've I've decided that I'm going to drive down Oakland Street, and I'm going to go knock on the door. I'm not sure what I'll find, but I'm going to let people know that I'm not just a salesman or somebody. But this was a there's some early memories in this house, and I. would I'd like to just walk through if you don't mind. Now they may not let me do that. <laughs> that would be fun. They may, they may freak out. They may think I'm a stalker or something. but some of my earliest memories are uh, a Christmas tree. And uh, I wouldn't want to offend anybody in that regard, but I, I do remember uh, a specific smell. It smelled like pine. Uh, I got a candle uh, at the house, it's called balsam, and and I like to burn it because it smells like the house used to smell. I remember the needles falling off the pine tree the closer we got to Christmas. I remember trying to get the pine tree out of the house and the path that was laid with all the needles that were brown because uh, the tree was dying. We killed a good tree for Christmas. There was a gas fireplace there in the living room. This is the same place my older sister would have her flannel nightgown on, but she'd already halfway dressed for church. I guess she had her winter. It was probably going to be 60 that day, so it was going to be really cool. And she had her her leotards or her stockings, uh, her already uh, leggings or whatever you want to call I don't know what they call them nowadays, tights. Thank you. I need somebody from the 21st century to translate this message. She already had her tights on and she was cold so she backed up to that gas fireplace and before she knew it, uh, the back of her little uh, flannel nightgown was on fire and uh, she looked back and saw flames up going past her head and she went running through the house and to the day we moved out of that house, there was still a burn mark in, in the bedroom that my sister it uh, was her bedroom where my uh, dad had uh, laid her down on the floor and, and rolled her over on her back and put that fire out uh, and uh, didn't even hardly singe her hair. Uh, she wasn't hurt, had no marks, and we're thankful for that. In fact, to this day, I believe she still has the, the shriveled up remains of that, uh, of that morning. Uh, I remember a large stereo in the living room. There was a piano there and a large stereo. It was one of those wide stereos that you slide the, the, the thing back, and there's the turntable, and over here you have a cabinet for all your LPs, and, and the speaker system was covered with this gold-looking um, uh, mesh stuff, and uh, I remember uh, during Christmas time, Mom would play a particular album. Now, uh, this is a very special memory because uh, I've mentioned to you before that on Sunday, We had a custom in our family home that every Sunday after church you go to a specific restaurant and you don't change that, so help you God, you go to Kentucky Fried Chicken. And every Sunday after church we went to Kentucky Fried Chicken. So it wasn't too far of a stretch uh, for us to say we were a family that had a Kentucky Fried Chicken Christmas album. There were only, I did a little study this week, there were only three of those albums put out by Kentucky Fried Chicken or Colonel Sanders. And they were from the years of 1967 to 1969. Now from what I looked on Google this week, uh, we had the 1969 edition of Colonel Sanders' Christmas album. (laughs) It was a two LP set, uh, so it had ten songs on one LP and ten on another. I talked to my mother early this morning, she still has it, for which I'm thankful, because there's one particular song I can hear even today, Charlie Pride, now that dates you, Charlie Pride singing Out of the East. Out of the East they came riding, riding, three of the wisest of men, I can hear it right now. I remember lying on the floor by that stereo system listening to Charlie Pride and Bing Crosby and all those other artists. But try as I may, I don't recall any specific gifts. Vaguely, there were some I remember, just vaguely, I remember the Hot Wheel Tracks I was threatened to be beaten with them, times. That's why I remember those. I remember a bicycle. I remember a BB gun, and I remember an electric football game. Remember those? The little vibe. How many had an electric football game, man? Uh, baseball. Well, I don't know what was wrong with your family, but no, I'm just. Craig had electric baseball game. Now. In my garage right now, it's stuffed away in a cabinet. It's a little green uh, utility box. Uh, I've had it ever since I was a teenager. Inside of that little utility box right now, I could go to it and pull it out. Uh, There are about four sets of those football players, and all of them in different uniforms, uh, depending on what team I was kind of interested in. But there was always an LSU team in there. And then I would want to change who they were playing, so I literally would paint, I'd paint another team, and then I'd get tired of them, and I'd paint another team. So there's probably 15 or 20 coats of paint on those little plastic men, and I got so detailed that I'd get a toothpick and put the numbers on the backs of their jerseys. That's where all that detail stuff started. I remember that. I remember the red lights lining the roof line of Paul and grandmother Jean's house in Shreveport. I remember our tradition of opening gifts on Christmas Eve night and then on Christmas morning we would dress up and go to Mama and Papa Wiedner's house to be with our cousins on Christmas morning. And there would be a silver tree with blue ornaments. I remember playing football with my uncles and cousins and boys and girls Everybody played. Those days were simple. I remember a custom that we got into uh, reading Luke chapter 2. And that is a very sacred thing, but yet uh, it's always interesting who is selected to read it. I'll leave it at that. I remember setting up the manger scene. I remember how special that was. In fact, uh, we had a a shelving for books and on those shelves were the Britannica Encyclopedia. Anybody remember those? And on that, there was cabinets underneath and on top of that, we would set up the manger scene. I can't remember who put together the manger scene but all the wise men, uh, somebody had painted them and they matched their camels. Like they're, they're very ornate costumes and whoever painted the ceramic, uh, the, 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 the stuff on the camel color coordinated with the wise man that was supposed to stand beside this camel. It was amazing. I remember the Spanish moss we would put around the manger scene. Now if you don't know anything about Spanish moss, I still look at pictures with Spanish moss hanging in the trees and I think, man, why doesn't that stuff grow up here? I remember being, uh, being interested that Jesus seemed to be the most broken piece in the manger scene. He was laying in a manger, of course, he's not like any other baby, he just had a little piece of cloth across his midriff but his arms were wide open like this I don't know how many times both arms had been broken off and glued back together. I'm not sure why Jesus seemed to be the most broken piece. Maybe because he was handled more than the rest. Maybe because he was smaller than all the rest. But fact of the matter is other pieces in the manger scene were broken as well. But Jesus was broken just like all the other pieces. Thinking of the manger makes me think of a Christmas carol. In fact, if you want to join me, you're welcome to sing it with me. Away in a manger, no crib for a bed. The little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet hand. The stars in the sky look down where he lay. The little Lord Jesus asleep on the hay. When I think about that manger, it brings a thought to my mind. Jesus doesn't belong here. He is the Son of God. He deserves the best the world has to offer. But make no mistake, God made the arrangements. The Bible makes some rather astounding claims relating to Christmas, of which I'll mention just a few. An angel visited a virgin who became pregnant by the Holy Ghost. The baby in her womb was the Son of God sent from heaven. God caused a heathen emperor to call for a taxation that sent Mary and Joseph back to Bethlehem at the very moment Jesus was to be born. Prophets foretold both the virgin birth and his birth in Bethlehem hundreds of years before it ever happened. A star led the wise men from the east directly to the house in Bethlehem where Jesus was. The angels informed the shepherds. An angel spoke to Joseph on three separate occasions and an angel also warned the the wise men that they should not return and tell Herod where the sleeping child was. It all seemed to just happen but what seemed to be by chance was actually the hand of God moving through history to accomplish his purpose. See this day is a very special day because it I know it's not the actual day, but we commemorate today the actual birth of Jesus Christ who came out of heaven into this world in time. In fact, he comes from heaven to earth and ends up in a stable. How can that be? How can he come from heaven to earth and end up in a stable, a feeding trough? This was not the Holiday Inn. In fact, in those days travel was dirty, travel was difficult, and travel was dangerous. Travelers needed safety and security from what might happen in the darkness of the night. So nothing more than a small building this inn might have been where people would stop and for a small fee would rest and the owner would keep a fire going and maybe even feed their beast of burden. Perhaps Joseph and Mary were too poor and could not pay the fee. Perhaps with Mary being pregnant, the owner thought they'd surely drive off the paying customers. But something happened and the Bible says that the innkeeper told them there's no room here for you. And they ended up in a stable out back. And from a human point of view, nothing in the picture looks right. But I would like to share with you today that God did not simply allow Jesus to be born in a stable. God ordained it. I'm going to say that again. God did not simply allow Jesus to be born in a stable. God ordained it. I want you to think about your own life and the things that you you categorize in the file of your own mind as God-allowing. Maybe God doesn't allow as much as he ordains. Maybe the stuff we look back and say, well, I guess God just allowed that, or could it be that it's all in God's plan? For if God had wanted it to happen some other way, it would have happened some other way. Jesus was not just allowed to be born in a stable. God ordained that that would be the setting. And there are a lot of details with which we could get real creative. It's a fact they arrived in Bethlehem. It's a fact that they were turned away from the inn. It's a fact the baby was born in a stable outdoors in the cold with the animals nearby. It's a fact they had no privacy, no sanitation and very little protection from the elements. We hear that old familiar Christmas carol, O little town of Bethlehem, how still we see thee lie. Above thy deep and dreamless sleep the silent stars go by, yet in thy dark streets shineth the everlasting light. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee, Bethlehem, tonight. I thank God for it. Why would Emmanuel, God with us, arrive like this? Would it have been fitting? Let me ask you this question. Would it be fitting that the man who was to die naked on a cross, that he should come into the world robed in purple at his birth? I don't believe it's fitting for the one that eats and drinks with sinners, that is counted as a lamb before his shearers dumb. The one that would hang naked before all of time and eternity for the sacrifice of men's souls. I believe it would be inappropriate if that humility didn't begin at the very beginning with his birth in a manger in Bethlehem. It would seem like an odd twist if he came as a king and ended up forsaken. If he came in purple and ended up Naked? No, he didn't come in that way, and he didn't leave that way. Why did that happen in that fashion? Let me uh, propose to you today that he came humbly, and he left humbly. He made his grave, the scripture says, with the wicked. He made his birthing moment with the humble. Why would it be that way? So that he might invite the humble. So that he might invite the broken. In fact, he was broken like us so that we would feel the invitation to come to him. See, he has no interest in attracting the proud. In fact, the scripture says he resists the proud, but he gives grace to a specific person, the one that comes humbly. And a stable in Bethlehem is the greatest invitation to the rejected. A stable in Bethlehem is the greatest invitation to the abused, the mistreated, the forgotten, the overlooked. And Bethlehem's manger says, everybody's welcome here. Nobody's going to be cast out. Nobody's going to be rejected. I'm thankful for a stable in Bethlehem. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord. In fact... I want you to consider this. Think about—I uh, don't—I don't know why you would, but maybe you would. Maybe you would get called before uh, the go to go to the county courthouse, maybe because of a property dispute or speeding ticket or something. You know, you might get called before a judge. You know, we might tremble if we were to approach a throne. We would. We would not really know what to do if we got invited to the White House or the Oval Office. We we might want to be interested in protocol. What's expected of me? What should I wear? What should I say if I'm introduced to the president? uh, I I better think about what I'm going to say. I'd sure hate to stumble over my words in that moment. (laughs) See, we might tremble when we approach a throne, but we cannot fear when we approach a manger. I'm welcome here. When I think about his great condescension and how he left all of that and he made himself of no reputation, he proved himself a priest taken from among men, one who had suffered just like his brethren. And for this reason, he can be touched. I hope you're hearing me today. For this reason, that little broken Jesus can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. Nobody will in any wise be cast out. There's an open invitation on Christmas Sunday morning that everybody's welcome at the manger. I'm thankful for that today. Well, let's lift our hands and love the Lord for just a moment. I praise you, Lord. So there was no room in the end. That's much more than an incidental detail. There was no room. Everybody say no room. That's more than just an incidental detail. It is central to who Jesus is. No, I want you to hear But I hope you're not just passing time today. I'm not. Uh, Before we, you maybe you've already gathered with your family and you're going to do more of it later. But no room in the inn is central to who Jesus is. In fact, let me say it this way. He had, he had to be born like this. It couldn't have happened any other way. You see a baby lying in an exposed stable, resting in a feeding trough. Kyle read it in Isaiah. What is it? It is God's appointed sign. Sign. (laughs) It is God's sign to all of us. What kind of sign is that? Nothing about this appears supernatural in any way. See, it doesn't say you've got to be super spiritual to be welcome here you got to be of a certain race. No, nothing about it seems supernatural. There's no halos regardless of all the cards and pictures and paintings. There's no halos. There's only a few occasions where angels uh, step out of eternity and then they are veiled. There's no choirs in the background singing the hallelujah chorus. In fact, if you had been in Bethlehem that night and you had no other information... You would have concluded that this is just a baby born to a poor young couple down on their luck. Nothing about it pointed to God. Yet all of it, every part of it, every random detail was planned by God. Before the creation of this world. Why did God do that? You see God uses adverse circumstances that make no sense at the time in order to accomplish His purpose in the future. I'm going to say that again. God uses adverse circumstances. In fact, just think about this. I went back there in my mind this week to those old places where Christmas was early in my life. I wonder... If Jesus in 33 and a half years, we know he was in Bethlehem. We know he was in Nazareth. We know he was in Jerusalem. I wonder if he ever slipped down an old familiar road and said, I just wanna walk by the place that I was born. I wonder if he ever drove past Shumpert Hospital, so to speak, that's where I was born. take you to the place, take you to the old hospital, drive you by, you know, we, we all have. I wonder if he ever happened to be going that way and said, Hey guys, there's, there's the stable. I wonder if he ever, we don't find the biblical count. if he ever looked around and said, You know, I, I wonder why there's not many boys in this area my age. Because Herod had killed everybody from two years old and under. I wonder if he ever ministered to a crowd of people, knowing if he's God and he is, that there are people here that lost their children because of the day I was born. Say what you will about all of it—the innkeeper being heartless, the, the the weather out in the co- maybe in the cold—we're not sure what what the weather was like, but out in the out in the environment in the stable, God. Think about it in your life. God uses adverse circumstances many times that make no sense. Why? Because He has a plan. I take great comfort this Christmas Sunday in the fact that God knows what He's doing. <laughs> now, I'm going to say it again on this Christmas don't ever forget that God knows what He's doing. Come on, somebody ought to praise him right now. Somebody ought to love him right now. And I guess the reason I can't even hardly say it is because I look out across this crowd and I see people that right now life doesn't make much sense, but I've come to testify to you that a manger scene in Bethlehem tells me emphatically that God knows what he's doing and don't you ever forget it. Yes, he does. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord. We may not get out of here at 1130. But we're moving there. We got four minutes to leave. Let me just pause for a moment. I'm not sure how many years ago it was. What would it be? Three maybe? That on, New Year, on, on Christmas Eve night, in Nicole and Bryce's life and Maddie's life, what was it, three years ago? Three years ago. On Christmas Eve night, on the same floor in the same hospital, Nicole battling for her life, needing a pair of lungs, all of a sudden on Christmas Eve night. How's that happen? God knows what he's doing. I don't care how bleak it looks. I don't care how humble it looks. How how rejected it may look. God, I don't care what society says about it. Hey, hey, doesn't matter what people's opinions are. God knows what he's doing. And that he uses everything that happens to us to accomplish his purpose in us through us, and for us. Not one detail of life is wasted. Not one. Turn to the neighbor and say, not one. Not one detail of life is ever wasted. I want them to put up there in closing. Singers can come on. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. I've read it so many times. In closing, I want to draw your attention to it. Luke 2, verse 7. And I apologize for our malfunctioning basketball go. We got the cable. Twisted up in there, so some of you may have to look around the goal to see it. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. I want you to read it out loud with me. And he brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger. Why? Because there was no room for them in the end. What great truth lies behind the simple words of Luke chapter 2, verse 7. Even the tiniest details turn out to have enormous significance in the Christmas story. And let me give you an example. The sequence of events that unfolded, the census, the long journey, the no room in the inn, the no crib for a bed, the feeding trough, the swaddling clothes, all of it was planned by God even though it all appeared to happen by chance. But did you notice in Luke 2 and 7, did you notice for whom there was no room? because there was no room for them everybody say them in my mind I don't know why but I've always thought the innkeeper said there's no room and there was no room for Jesus I've heard sermons about make room for Jesus in your heart don't be like the innkeeper said no room for the Savior no room for the King the fact of the matter is Luke 2 and 7 says there was no room for them not him Them. there was no room for Jesus that's a fact but there was also no room for Mary and Joseph either that means those that were with Jesus there was no room for them either they were outside when Jesus was born why because there was not just no room for Jesus there was no room for them what happened to Jesus happened to them they were following and sharing in the fate of the baby that would be born so when the innkeeper said there's no room they were clumped together in a them not a him i'd like to say to all of you today so it is with everybody who's following jesus What they did to him, they do to us also. Don't think this world's going to think you're the greatest thing since sliced bread. They didn't think that about Jesus. In fact, they killed him. And they might kill some of you. Sorry to be the bearer of some bad news for you. In spite of your best efforts, they may kill you also. But what they did to him, they do to us. But I gladly share in the no room in the end for them because I know if they push me out now, that baby's still gonna be born. And they kill him later, that baby's gonna get up on that Sunday morning. And if they send him out of here and say good riddance, make no mistake about it, he's coming back. And he's coming back for me. so what are you saying pastor I'm saying I'm with Jesus and they rejected him then and it's okay there was no room for them I live with him let me say something to all of you that find yourself in a place of suffering make no mistake about it you're suffering with him <laughs> no no Hey, I was, I'm sorry, I'm going over my allotted time. I'll say, well, I thought about the saints of the ages that have gone on to be with the Lord. When I think about Christmas time, there's some people I miss. Hello? Now think about the homegoing of some of our great saints of God in my life, your life, and the life of this church, and in your mind I'm sure there's some that I've seen die with him. I was in their room or their living room or in their hospital room when they slipped out of here and I, I it was almost as if I could hear the chariot of the Lord sweep through that hospital or that room. They died with him. They've lived with him. they suffered with him. They put up with stuff with him and they died with him. But make no mistake about it, they too shall reign with him. (laughs) So regardless of where he's going and what he's doing, I'm going with him. I'm not worried about where I sit like those sons of thunder that said, can we sit one on the left and one on the right? I'm not so interested in where I sit, but I'm interested in going with him. And if that means a manger, I'm going with him. And if that means a cross, I'm going with him. And if that means dying with him, I'm dying with him because it won't be long that I too shall see him as he is and I'll be like him and I'll reign with him. Come on, stand right now. Let's give the Lord praise on this Christmas Sunday that what happened to him happens also to me and that means I shall be victorious and I'll be more than a conqueror through him that loved me. Come on, praise him right now. Come on, lift your voice. Come on, saints of God, on this Christmas Sunday. There was no room for them. Oh, yes. Where, where is it? I, 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 we're closing. Where did it come from? This strange drive in us to be accepted. To be accredited I, I need to remind you of a few things when when we hear terminology in the New Testament about about those early believers we read in the book of Hebrews where their lives were tragedies one after another and then as you get to the end of that hall of faith chapter it makes a startling statement Talking about all these people of whom the world was not worthy. They didn't know what they had. This precious thing called the people of God. I want you to know, friend, those people in the hospital need your testimony. Those people that suffer sickness just like the rest of us need that testimony that says, hey, uh, Jesus doesn't exempt me from tragedy and hardship, but I'm with him, and I'm walking with him, and he's in my life, and I'm in his. In him I live, and I move, and I have my being. I've seen people get bent out of shape because Jesus was supposed to give them everything they wanted, but make no mistake about it. There will be times in your life where there will be no room in the end for them. That Jesus is, Jesus in your life is going to exclude some things. You being a believer is going to mean there's no room for me there. Well, let's live. Why don't you reach over and just pray for some? I feel the spirit of God right now, and I've gone longer than I wanted to. But I want you to pray right now for the one on your left and right, your family members. I just want you to join hands. We're going to sing right now. Singers are going to sing, and we're going to just close this service being mindful that what happened to him is what happened to us. That Bethlehem manger gives me a testimony that God knows what he's doing that in spite of what's taking place come on hallelujah